We made this. Hello and welcome to We Buy Records. I'm Paul Field and I'm joined, kind of as ever, by the lovely Tim Scullion. Morning, Tim. I'm here in spirit, Paul. My ghost is kind of haunting you. So, listeners, we have sort of jerry-rigged a, a pretty convoluted setup to try and record each of us nice and clean. So hopefully, to the untrained ear, this podcast will sound as glisteningly wonderful as it always does. There's half a chance. I'm, yeah, I'm currently maybe running not quite half a chance. You're wearing two pairs of headphones, and I'm <laughs> yes. currently running two laptops and a and a recorder. So I've got three gizmos on the go. So same, same. I've got I've got three on the go as well. If you do hear a few sort of bangs and cracks and stuff today, that's probably um, just because we're normally in your lovely, quiet Zen lounge, Tim. Yes, we are. Well, what I quite like is that you and I are obsessed with analog audio formats and yet here we are pushing our digital technology to its absolute breaking point <laughs> yeah we are right should we crack on we've got lots to get through today let's just sort of merge news and housekeeping into one because we've had oh, thank uh, god listener letters first up coronavirus and what are shops going to do during the outbreak? And we've had a couple of listeners, um, specifically Vinyl Car Booty and uh, Denny, Tunnel Blanket 84 on Twitter. What are you doing, Tim? We don't, well, we, we've closed. We had our last day on Saturday just gone. Um, and we don't know what we're going to do, Paul. We've been agonising over whether it's appropriate to do local free delivery because in theory that is putting people at risk like let's say we're infected or you know or, or they're infected because um, we had the idea that we could set up a website and then if you're local you can click almost like click and collect but so you can order what you want at the same price as they'd be in the shop and me and Susan will whiz round in our car and hand deliver to you sort of leave it on the step and knock on your door and run away which is a lovely idea but you know Boris Johnson says it's not essential, is it? No, it's a tricky one. Um, but it, things may become clearer when the government announce their help package for the kind of people like yourself, I guess, later today. Because at the moment, it's only employed people who've got any help. So you still need to make a living. Well, yes, exactly. That's the other thing is we do need to pay our bills. But I, but I want to be safe and I don't want to put anyone else in danger. Um, the other idea we had was to just to sell more stuff online. Again, whether it might be through Discogs or we could set up our own um, online shop. But then, I, because I overthink all this stuff, then you're you're overloading the, the postal service with more inessential items, which means that the poor plucky uh, postal workers are going to have to do more delivering risk more spreading aren't they yeah i mean i've been having a look online to see what other businesses are doing so uh juno for example they've got an offer on uh 50 for 50 so 50 percent off 50 actually quite good records to tempt you in the door because so, that, so the they've postage, got no they've got no qualms about no. uh <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, fair it, enough. we're not I think here I'm to judge him yeah. no no and I, I i i think i'm overthinking it because People still want to buy records, and you know, no one is putting a gun. Like so, we were saying on Saturday when we were still when when the shop was still open, we were really wrestling with: is this the right thing to do? Should we should we close? Even though we hadn't yet been told to close by the government, we thought, well, actually, are we doing the wrong thing and opening? But nobody was putting a gun to your head to say you must come and visit a record shop, and likewise, no one's putting a gun to your head saying you must buy records online. I don't know. Well, so Juno have got their 50% of 50 good records offer on. That's to tempt you in the door. 
you're going to pay the postage on one, you might be buy a few more. I think that's the reasoning behind that. Quite a mm-hmm. good idea. I've had a look through them. There's some good records in there. Um, some of the more f- uh, bricks and mortar stores resident in Brighton have gone online only. Uh, Piccadilly in Manchester, online only. Um, Spillers, they're doing a really good thing. You can give them, a, give them a little call and see if they've got your item in stock or send them an email with your phone number and they'll give you a call back. See, that's a really nice idea. Now, that's yeah. the kind of thing we could, for example, we could open on Saturdays and you could either call us or tweet us or email us on a Saturday. We'll be there from 11 till 5 and you can ask us what we've got and we'll happily do a kind of tailored service. I'm not saying we'll do that, but it... Yeah. You know, we've anyway, got to eat. We've got to eat, Paul. We, we've, all got to, we've all got to eat in these uh, difficult... Well, though, what there is left to eat is, uh, well... <laughs> little tip. I've been going out early when we need to. Greengrocers, butchers, fantastic. Bakers. So, well, yes, now this is what I'm hearing, is that actually the, the lunatics don't seem to have cottoned on to small local independent businesses offering just, yeah, as you say, a bit of it. So just go to the butchers or, you know, go to your local sort of mini mart and they'll probably still have all their stuff because people aren't bulk buying from them. No, I, went, I was out this morning, uh, 25 past seven, and by quarter to eight, I was home, having gone to the baker, having gone to the greengrocers, having nipped in the co-op and got everything I needed. Sorted. Job done. There's, that's the end of our public service announcement, Tim. <laughs> I think there'll be more occasional ones. What I like is that we're, this, is from, this is from a position of no authority. No. But I think listeners can probably, because it's just the kind of people we are, listeners can expect more public service announcements randomly throughout. The, the you know our episodes for the time being now i wouldn't trust anything we say by the way that's the no. main thing that's the main takeaway one last comment on this actually uh jjj vinyl were in touch to friend say that the they show. were th- friend of the show to say that they were thinking about setting up a vinyl club now i'm guessing that means that you you, you send them some money each month or whatever it might be for the next few months and then you'll get a, a selection of secondhand records what do you think I think it it probably requires a lot of work from JJJ to talk to these people and mm-hmm. actually figure out what the hell they like. And I mean, I just think that's really hard. I, I think hats off to them for doing it. I think it's a really yeah. lovely idea. But get, choosing the stuff that the people will like and haven't already got, I don't know. Maybe they can tell us if they've come up with an ingenious way to, to, to conquer that, that problem. From a purely selfish point of view, I, I thought, hmm. Now, well, let's put it this way. Now, you know me quite well, and I buy records in your shop all the time. Would you struggle to put a pack of records together for me, do you think? Massively. There you go. There's That's the issue that I have with, with But it's you, isn't club. it? Oh, yeah, I maybe it's peculiar I, I to me. Be, yeah, I think I might be slightly easier to please than you, I think. Yeah, but good luck with it, guys. If, it, if you do get it up and running, please let us know how you get on. So, Tim, there's one more bit of news. Amazon. Amazon have announced about, uh, was it about five or five days ago, that they are um, deprioritizing records. Yes, to make space for. Whatever it is, tins and arse wipes and stuff. Yeah. Which I think is perfectly reasonable, ventilators. So I guess they've. Well, I mean, you know, they're a company whose purpose is to make money. So I guess they think there's more money at the moment in uh, that stuff. And so they want to be able to focus on it. I don't know. That said, I I bought a record off Amazon this morning, Paul. (gasps) I know. And it seemed to go through okay. Yeah, I just found a really strange one. I mean, there must be more margin in wet wipes than there are in records. That's what it is. That's that's it. It's pure and simple maths at the end of the day. Yeah. But also, they they want to save the world, don't forget. No, they don't, Tim. They just want to make as much money as possible. Anyway, the moral of that, support your local indie store if you can. Especially yes. during this crisis. Exactly. If if Amazon have deprioritized records, and I think they've like I, I did look at one in, in, for research, and it did say that it, you know it would be delivered in about a month and a half. So I think there is some truth to it. So yeah, exactly. It's uh, it it actually benefits if you do want to buy records. It benefits the indies, doesn't it? So we have some listener questions in, uh, Tim. Ben Collins wants to know, can you do a multi-part investigation calling on all your contacts in the record industry to find out why, despite all records from the Britpop era on major labels being repressed, P. 
PJ Harvey albums are not available on vinyl, even though the originals go for over 100 quid. And we had the same question, re Stevie Wonder. We'll, we'll, we'll look into that using all of our industry contacts that we... Of which we have... Do we have none. any? Oh. Um, one. Might have one. <laughs> one. So, well, in the case... Yeah, I mean, he, he's right absolutely about um, PJ Harvey. She, her stuff goes for an absolute fortune. We, we had a, a sort of special double um, limited 2LP version of one of her early albums that came out at the time and I think we sold that for about 200 quid which is ridiculous and re Stevie Wonder um, I don't know why he, he hasn't been reissued much some of his records have I think Hotter Than July you can pick up quite easily but part of the answer might be that as I understand it Stevie has all of his master tapes under lock and key and he won't let anyone have them for reissue purposes it's fair enough, isn't it? No. So, well, do he do? Are his original records really that expensive? No. Right. So there's no real necessity then for a reissue. So well, that unless actually, you wanted a remastered, well, this half is something speed that, cut yeah, version. That bollocks. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about for ages, and we should maybe, um, you know, buff it up into a proper proper segment. Um, stuff that gets reissued that doesn't need to be oh there's plenty of that yes yeah, that's, but what, that's what's show. the I mean you know there might not be much to say about it except god why is that happening but maybe we can do a little bit of digging and, and, and try and talk to people about it because it is interesting stuff that you know you don't need a reissue of no parlay but I think it exists it does um, he, he has a second question here he wants to know about haggling oh don't ask me about that <sighs> The easiest thing to do, right? Okay, so there's a there's a kind of unwritten rule. If in a second-hand shop... Now, Tim, you can either confirm or deny this, but I know that this is, in general practice, certainly in Brighton. If you spend 50 quid, they'll normally give you 10% off. But do you... Do you mean that you would you have to... Should you have to ask for you, it? Yeah, if you ask, you say, oh, you know, I'm spending 50 quid, can I get a little discount? If you spend a hundred quid, you can probably get twenty percent off. I'm not sure that I agree with that. Okay. I think that twenty um, percent off, no matter how much you spend, is mm -hmm. is 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 cutting into the record shop's margin quite a lot. Okay. I would err on the side of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent tops. Okay. But that's just me, and actually, that's also because um, we try to pay quite a quite a reasonable amount for the records, so we can't it, discount them to crazily. Shops that pay a quid and sell for twenty quid, of which there are plenty, yeah, Christ, they can they can afford to give you forty percent off on it, not massively hurt them. Oh, I see it all the time. I you know when I know now which shops pay peanuts because I get a hoofing great discount in there. Yeah, it the does make thing, you think. If you get the big discount, you have to wonder how much they're paying. If you've got a little bundle of records and you don't like haggling, all you need to do is take them to the counter and say, what's your best on these? They'll, they'll immediately understand what you're saying. They may say, no, it, it's what the price is. They may add them up for you and knock, you know, three, four, five pounds off, mm. off, off the top. If it's like 56 pounds, they'd say, okay, give us 50 quid. That, yeah. that kind of thing is quite normal. I mean, haggling, I, I really, really, really hate haggling. I don't mind if, if customers in our shop ask us, you know, if, if, if it's them doing the haggling and me responding, that's that, that's fine. If I'm somewhere and I'm doing the haggling, I just hate it. And But my, my tip would be, and it's incredibly obvious, but people don't do this all the time, especially in our shop, be friendly and nice and don't assume that you're going to get some whacking great discount. So somebody might come up to you know to the counter in our shop with three records and just sort of go best price mate right and yeah I, do you know what i mean it's not going to win you any friends is not it not really whereas if they go oh hi i just just these please if there's anything you can do on the price then brilliant do you know what i mean so something like that just like don't be a sort of cocky tosser about it don't i don't know i it's it seems so obvious to me that if you want money off something in an independent shop then be be friendly and nice about it, you know. Or or sometimes um, people will come with a few records, 
and they'll put them down and they'll go all right mate i only want to pay 20 quid right go, we've got okay well i mean hang on right so this come and then you you know so you don't even know how much it comes to yet and they tell you ahead of time how much they want to pay now that's not that doesn't win them any friends either no we've got loads to get through here so we've got another quick question here from vince williams uh, record store day is there a need for it anymore the vinyl market has now no. re-established itself so why not just press enough copies of the release and sell them normally yeah he's right it, he's right he is... if, if 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 you know i i don't know why record store day was started but i think it was to to celebrate records and to give them a bit of love right so yes it has succeeded in doing that. It doesn't need to exist anymore. On the other hand, independent record shops that do it, it is their Christmas. Well, I, know. I think I mentioned to you before, my idea is do it in advance online, have a drop-down menu of the participating stores linked to the items you want to buy. You pay for them and go down on Record Store Day and pick them up. Easy peasy. And what about if they're limited edition? Yeah, so you... Aren't you enough? That, no, you don't, you don't need limited editions because everyone who's pre-ordered, they'll then manufacture that amount plus 20% more for people who didn't pre-order. So there's no wastage. You're not ending up with hundreds of copies of crap that nobody wants left over and the shops still get their revenue. The only problem with that, Paul, is the lead-in time of manufacturing records. Ah, uh, okay. That's the only... Otherwise, I think that that is sort of the most beautiful elegant system and it still supports the independent shops because that's where you go to pick them up yep but if you pre-order them what eight months in advance for some of these things it kind of kills the yeah true mm. maybe they could just press up cds instead hey um next one chris smith he wants to know why his discord collection has gone up um i've seen this mine's no, yes, gone you up said i've seen a gone few up by people about sort of 10 grand or something hasn't it yeah we think it's to do with being linked to the dollar that's as yeah, simple so, as that so in this in these days of global crisis as i understand it the, the dollar is seen as a safe bet around the world so you know if, if you're a if you're an international business or, or or whatever and you've got kind of the choice of what currency to do things in or what what currency to put things in people are thinking i'll go dollar yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to go Hungarian fiorint. I'm not going to go sterling. I'm not going to go whatever Hong Kong dollar. I'm going to go US dollar because I think it's the safe bet. And so that means that the dollar has remained strong, and pretty much every other currency is wobbling and fluctuating and going down. So if Discog's kind of base calculations are well, what is this worth in dollars? And then we'll tra we'll change that to your local currency then you're going to see it shoot up in your local currency because your local currency is now worth fuck all. That's what I think as well, yeah. that It can't be. I can't think of any other explanation. I did get a reply from Discogs about it, and I think that's what they were saying, but it didn't really make much sense. Um, Billy Edwards and Mark Turnbull both have a similar request. Billy would like to see some seven-inch debate. Ooh. And Mark says, seven inches, are they the ugly stepchild of vinyl now? Don't seem to get much attention. Growing up in the late 70s was one of the golden ages for them. Many great Agreed. ones, not on albums. Um, but his languish in the loft, they are too much faff to play. And most of them are not very well looked after. Let's have a heated debate. I love seven inches, Paul. You couldn't give a toss about them, could you? You've got about four seven inches, I think. No, I've got... A few hundred, oh, but, okay. but yeah, I don't go out of my way to collect them. I don't particularly like them. And, and that's purely sort of a legacy from DJing. They're, they're too short. They don't have a nice lead in, lead out. And they're too quiet. I just love them. I love seven inches. Absolutely love them. I love sort of classic 60s soul on seven inch punk and indie on seven inch 70s funk sevens. I, it's, you know, reggae, scar seven inches. I bloody love them. Um, I can understand why. If if a lot of the vinyl revival is is driven by younger people who maybe were never big into vinyl when they were growing up, because I guess they are just too young for it, I can see how the seven inch may not have captured their imagination in the way that the album does. So let's say you know you've got Nirvana, Nevermind, or Amy Winehouse, Back in Black, or Fleetwood Mac, Rumours on vinyl nice satisfying 12 inch with a lovely picture cover you can look at the liner notes you can really you know enjoy that object 
versus a seven inch in a company sleeve with with one song on each side i can see how it, for a young person that hasn't got a, particularly a nostalgia for the for the for that detail why would you want a single when you could have Nevermind on on vinyl as an album does that make sense to you yeah it makes perfect sense to me i think it's a, a very very valid reason why it's kind of fallen out of favor plus there's no jukeboxes anymore plus there's mm. no singles chart as such anymore oh yeah the singles chart mm-hmm no top of the pops oh yeah so it i people people like random songs for streaming and, and it's n- not necessarily a single but it might just be something which is just blown up a track or they want albums if they're like a proper music fan then they they go for that the album also i wonder if looking at it from a label's point of view i don't think it's that much more expensive these days to make an album versus manufacturing a single well you look know, at the seven inches for record store day the 17 yeah, like 18 20 quid. pounds yeah exactly so i wonder if if they're thinking well to go to all that trouble to master and cut and manufacture a seven inch single why bother doing that when for a small amount more we could be mastering and manufacturing an album and and charge more for it and albums have got more lasting power you know they an album in theory will kind of live forever in the in the music books and on blogs and stuff whereas singles maybe come and go thank you everyone for all your questions we thank will you get guys. yes i'm sure we'll do this again in the next episode where we'll ask more listener questions Paul, do you remember in the old days where we used to go, you know, we used to travel and go places? Do you remember that? Oh, I vaguely remember it. I think you would, you were allowed to get into this big metal tube and they would transport you to another country where you could go record shopping. You can't do that anymore. No, but God, it was good, wasn't it? Oh, it was so good. Oh, I wonder if they'll ever bring that back. No. Oh. Well, so in lieu of ever being able to do that again... I can give you a city report of when I did it. Oh, when was that? About in the Dark Ages? That was back in the Dark Ages of about a month ago. Okay. We went to Budapest, Paul. Lovely. In in Hungary there. So would you like to hear about it? Yes, please. So t- for a bit of context, so you can sort of imagine it if you're playing along at home, Budapest is a city split into two halves, which you may or may not know. It's Buda and pest Paul's looking just blank I think he's just waiting no for me I, to get I to knew you were going to say oh, that oh, oh, sorry right, but, okay. but hurry up and get to the record shops no I'm joking right. <laughs> um, and, and Buddha and pest are bisected by the river Danube running down the middle from north to south and it seems that as far as I could tell every single record shop in Budapest is on the pest side so that's where to stay if you if you want to go if, if when this is all over you want to go to Budapest stay on the the pest side because that's where the record shops are you look like a geography teacher and now you sound like a geography teacher <laughs> um paul we only went to four record shops oh and here are my thoughts about them so the first one was uh media pont a lemesbolt excellent pronunciation thank you very much and this was to the north of the city near the parliament buildings um the first challenge paul was getting in because um they'd covered the front of the shop and the front door so thoroughly with seven inch singles you couldn't see where the door i'm not joking you really couldn't see where the door was oh wow did you take a photo uh yes there will be a photograph available we'll try and get you to post that when we put the episode up i'll try um they were really friendly and really nice but the stock could best be summed up as dog-eared best ofs oh lovely uh, they were absolutely crammed into the racks and then would have a pile on top of the racks as well. So browsing was basically impossible. The stuff that we did see was the most boring overpriced collection that you could imagine. Any examples? Uh, Paul Young, Loverboy, Mud, and whoever their Hungarian counterparts are. Oh so, dear. So Paul, you know in our shop we've got a box by the counter of cheap and cheerful two quick classics or three for a fiver yes and they're not shit they're just sort of bog standard so you'll get very common yeah status quo paul young alison moyer you know and and, and if they're a tiny bit scruffy you might get 
songs from the big chair or bruce springsteen or right so it's you know they are pop albums but they're not going to be mint or they're going to be a little bit dull like a john cougar melon camp album that's in pretty good nick but maybe not sparkling mint and it's going to be three for a fiver right that's what their entire shop was made up of and how much were they each seven quid and up whoa that's just like it was shit paul it was so bad it was such a bad start um and i feel bad because they were really really nice but oh my god so that was a that was a poor start all the rest of the shops that we went to were in and around the jewish quarter um which i would absolutely recommend as the place to stay in budapest it was really buzzy loads of restaurants cafes bars hipster without being too hipster i strongly recommend the jewish quarter and you know the fact that often you can if you if you bring up a city map on google maps right and you google and you search for record shop the cluster where most of them are will be the cool bit of the city right yep if you're kind of if if it's a city that's completely new to you and you're trying to figure out where the hell should we stay stay near the record shops yeah google record shops and that's what we do yeah works every time so yeah, for context, with these this shop asking seven quid and up for these shit records, a coffee or a beer in Budapest is a quid, and a meal is four or five quid tops. So how the hell can they be asking this much for shit records? That's that's the mystery. Um, next one we went to was Hanglemesbolt. Even better pronunciation. <laughs> I'm only here for your pronunciations, Tim. Thanks, Paul. Uh, this shop was pretty tiny and it was tucked away in a residential block now the guy here was really really friendly and had great english um and his and his shop was so untidy because i think because he he didn't have a storeroom and if you've been in record shops that don't have a storeroom they are a mess yeah because records are hard they're they're they take up so much space and they're so hard to organize if you don't have a second space to actually put them in and, and go through them so it was a fucking mess um but he had brilliant stuff this paul is where i got your depeche mode record beautiful and it was lovely condition as well it was it was fantastic it was a bit overpriced but it was okay but interestingly he had underneath his racks on the floor he had boxes and boxes and boxes of records that were priced up in euros and they were about twice the price of all the stuff that was in the local hungarian Fiorent. This was the stuff for Utrecht. Ah. So he obviously, he's been doing this a long time. He knows what he's doing. He knows that he can shift all this stuff for double the price at Utrecht. So stuff that was about a tenner in his shop that was on in the racks, the same records often down in the boxes on the floor in euros were 22 euros, 18 euros. Oh, wow. So, so you paid for my Depeche record in euros? Well, it, it, so so yeah. Annoyingly, that Depeche record was in his Utrecht boxes. No surprise, it, really. Yeah, I know, and it was twenty-two euros. If he'd put that out for the local market, it would have been twelve quid. What other stuff was in there? What kind of stock did he carry? Was it just a mishmash of everything? Yeah, a lot of rock, um, a lot of hip hop, synth pop, indie, just really good, just like any good record shop from anywhere in the world, basically. Um, and his prices were often around a tenner, 12 quid. Um, we bought from him some Kraftwerk and some Kate Bush. Um, and he gave us a reasonable discount. I actually haggled, Paul. Ooh. You should have seen me. It was amazing. I, now, I he, can't wait to see this in action. He told me something really, really, really interesting about Indian pressings and how they relate to the Hungarian market. Right, go on. So he explained that India and Hungary from I think the sort of mid 60s to you know fall of the Berlin Wall era had a close unusually close uh, trading relationship for for I'm sure there's a reason but I didn't bother figuring out I didn't bother researching what the reason was and so what that means is there are lots and lots and lots of Indian pressings in Hungary of records lots of them oh did you find any yes they're really nice, really interesting, beautiful labels. We'll say like, you know, made in Delhi or whatever they say. Now, until recently, they couldn't give them away to Hungarians. 
because to Hungarians, Indian pressings are like, oh yeah, whatever. That's that stuff that flo- that flooded the market for years, whatever. So you know, you go to Utrecht, and you can sell a, an Indian pressing of Kate Bush for forty quid to a Japanese collector, and they will. This is what he told me. They will snap it up. But until about six or seven years ago, you put him in the in the racks in a Hungarian record shop, not even touched. That's fascinating. Things have now changed, he said. Even Hungarian buyers have started to see the appeal. But how weird is that? That you'd think, you know, if you were in this country and you saw an Indian pressing of Depeche Mode, you'd go, fucking hell. I'd bite, bite their arm off. Yeah, exactly. But in Hungary, it's taken a very long time for them to see it as anything other than landfill to- landfill records. Now, we have a similar feeling in England about Portuguese pressings. I think in the late 70s and through the 80s, I think some record shops would would go and bring back armfuls of made in Portugal records because I think they were basically dirt cheap. So, and again, until recently, they, in this country, they weren't really worth much. They're creeping up as well. So weirdly, a lot of the Talking Heads records that we get through the doors seem to be made in Portugal. Don't know why that is. Anyway, That's still true point. to this day, you know. So if you are after 90s albums that are quite expensive here on UK original pressings, if you look up their Portuguese counterparts, things like Depeche or The Smiths or whatever it might be, they are yeah, sort of half the price. Half the pro- they're still first original pressings, but they're half the price. There I think you go. We just, yeah, we just don't, they don't have, we don't feel the value of those records because of where they're from. It's like kind of racism, isn't it, Paul? Well, I went record shopping in Portugal and I hoovered up loads of them. Well, you would. I totally would do that. Same way that I managed to get some lovely Indian pressings in Hungary. I'm absolutely chuffed with them, you know. All right, next up, Paul. CD Pints. 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 It's P-I-N-C-E, like Prince without the R. CD Pints. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, this was another tucked away shop. Um, down some concrete steps and round a corner with access from the courtyard of a residential block. Now, there were two fellas here behind the counter, neither of whom even looked up from their phones when we came in, which is not a good start. Um, now, if, do you like, Paul, do you like hard rock CDs? No. No. Uh, well, they, do you like records? I, I like records, yes. They, they had about 30 records in stock, Paul. Everything right. from, from status quo to Nazareth. Oh, gold. Um, so we just left. I don't think that the staff even noticed that we'd been in. Oh, really? Yeah. So if, if, you, if you're into records, don't go to CD Pints. Number four, then, is Lemez Cuco. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Uh, this was a, quite a big shop on a main street uh, with tens of thousands of records, I'd say. Now, we thought we'd hit gold until we actually started flicking. Um the records were only a bit less boring than that first shop you went to. Uh, there was loads of loads of Paul Young. Don't worry, I took a picture. Uh, 80s Genesis. There was the biggest Cliff Richard section you've ever seen in your life. Oh, wow. I mean, really insanely, like half the shops seemed like Cliff Richard. Um, the prices were pretty good, but I only found one record that I wanted, which was an Indian Kate Bush album. Can you see a slight pattern emerging here, Paul? Yes. And finally, we went to Lucky Baxi. Now, according to the internet, this is one of the top record shops in Budapest. Okay, cool. It was a mid-sized shop, and it was tidy and really well laid out. But what was quite interesting, weird about it, was that absolutely everything in the shop, except classical and Hungarian artists, was just a massive... A to Z that snaked around back and forth the entire oh, no. shop. So, Paul, James Last was next to Liebach. Oh, that's beautiful. Did you really pick up either? Uh, no, I didn't. We looked in James Last and they didn't have a uh, voodoo party, unfortunately. Not even the good James Last. Not even the good James Last, Paul. Uh, there, was the, there was a Depeche Mode divider, but no Depeche Mode, unfortunately. In general, actually, if they had a divider, they mostly had something in it. There's a pet peeve of mine, which I'm sure you've seen as well. If you go to a big record shop where they've gone for the whole individual artist dividers thing. Yeah. And they'll have a million dividers, but 
but it'll be almost guaranteed that anyone interesting that you would want to see empty divider always you know yeah i just think get rid of the divider you lazy buggers take it away because something new in stock that's where it has to go um get the divider out again yeah yeah but it flags that they next time you go that they do have a section yeah, of that band, so that, it teases well, that, you back it, in the yes, door. Yes, exactly. That is the that is the whole problem with it. You see, we could just write Diamanda Galas, stick it in there, and then you'll go, "Ooh, they've got a Diamanda Galas section." Good luck actually getting a, her records. You see what I mean? Furious gotcha. about that. Anyway, uh, we picked up some more craft work here. I think that craft work were kind of just a pop band in Hungary right so what we noticed was when shops did have craftwork stuff the prices were in line with bands like blondie bruce springsteen elvis costello and the attractions so not worthless but not mega bucks records right craftwork stuff was in line with them whereas in the uk it really isn't no it's definitely not so yeah it's just that's another thing i thought was interesting about how different countries have got a different relationship with cult artists you know in britain craft worker right at the top whereas evidently in hungary they're just somewhere in the middle along with all the other popular artists along with talking heads you see it's a bit of fun so paul we, we pulled out some records there we took them to the counter about 55 quids worth and i did my usual as i said extra polite if we could have a, a small discount that would be brilliant um, and he point blank refused to offer a penny discount ouch he gave the the classic line that oh it's his boss's shop and his boss is adamant that there is to be no discounts so i asked so do you do you never give discounts ever on anything no matter how much is spent and he said no we don't um there's there's a challenge well i know i i, I said he was, <laughs> I'll, come, I even... I'll come back in in, in six months so i go tim you know that shop you went into oh don't <laughs> well do you know i even said to him that i asked him if he wanted to call his boss to get permission and he looked really horrified by that idea um susan has a theory that in a that that he is the boss really and it's just a line that he claims that he's not the boss so he can avoid giving discounts oh 100 percent. do you think so yeah of course I did think about maybe like in a Scooby-Doo way trying to like rip his face off and see if the, the boss was secret underneath. But you'll be pleased to know that I didn't do that. Um, so overall, would you say that Budapest is a worthwhile vinyl destination? It's it's so weird, Paul, because the economy in Budapest is, you know, that their currency isn't that strong. So it should be an absolute record buying paradise when you look at how expensive coffee beer and and food are but they tend to be seven eight quid and up for for anything so i don't know i don't think it i don't know i don't know it's inconclusive the, apparently there was there was there's a couple of other really good shops there so i understand which have got more duff duff but we didn't get a chance to go to them so you may you may have a better experience than us um the amount of shit filler records in budapest was staggering i have never seen so many boring rock and pop records it's it, I really really and whether it this is going to be awful but whether maybe it reflects the tastes of hungary maybe and that's an awful thing to say but i can't uh, yeah so many boring records um there's good stuff there if you hunt and there's stuff there like indian pressings I think it's kind of almost worth it just to go and pick up some interesting, strange foreign pressings. But in general, it's it, it takes work. If you go to Budapest and you want to find good records, you're going to have to work for it. Tim, I went on Twitter uh, at the weekend and asked people just to give us an idea or post a picture of their most prized record. Now, Ooh. some people took that to mean their most expensive. Some people took that to mean their most loved and expensive. And some people just took it to mean something they really, really like, but has no value. As ever... Hi, Beanie. Been, yeah, hi, Beanie. We've been inundated. Um, so 
I'm going to have to split them into to the next two episodes because there are so many good ones that I wanted to read out. So listeners, please don't be offended if we don't mention yours. Either it's because we thought it was rubbish or it's because we're holding it back for a future episode. Yes. Now, what I didn't say, and we've done this before, is I've looked up the current value. Oh, Paul. So we've gone, we're going to go full Antiques Roadshow. We're going to start off here with uh, Philip Pullen. Um, he's got here two treasures from the heady summer of 1968. Oh, nice. He's got Joni Mitchell, Joni Mitchell and Fairport Convention, Fairport Convention. Oh, fantastic. I've had a quick look at the value. The Joni Mitchell album, I'm assuming, and this is with all of these, I don't know the exact pressing you have, but if you want a nice early copy of that Joni Mitchell album, that's now 33 quid. But the Fairport Convention one, that will set you back a cool £100. Well done, Philip. Yep. What have you got, Tim? Uh, Bunch's most treasured record is Grime Street... Uh, with the Fruity Loops Workshop 10-inch, which I believe, Paul, is UK Garage, one of your yep. favourite genres. Hey, I don't mind a bit of UK Garage. It's good. If, do you know what? It flies out of the shop. Yep. Absolutely flies out. What's that worth, Paul? 50, 60 quid for a good one. So, so is that fruit? Is it actually... Cause of, cause made fruit, in Fruity Loops. Wow. Could be. You'd think it would be worthless. Uh, Steve Gray here, Captain Copter. Um... Motorhead, I swapped for a tour poster with one of Lem's old roadies. Eddie was going to sign it for me and he invited me over, but had to cancel with health issues. So gave me a lovely note and this picture. Um, it's it's a leather cover on it, um, but but it has got some signatures on it. Now I've looked it up. I think it's sort of, sort of a 50 quid record, but what those signatures add to it, I couldn't tell you, probably quite a lot. I would say quite a lot, depending on who, who it is that signed it. But yeah, wow. So well done, Steve. What have you got, Tim? Fury Dubs. This is a good one. This is this is a big one. Uh, right. Fury Dubs' most treasured record is an original UK pressing of Jimi Hendrix's Electric Ladyland. Now, that is a bit of a holy grail for... Not you, Paul, obviously. No. But for, for almost all record collectors. Uh, what's that worth now? Oh, 182 quid for yeah, a good that's one. Yeah, that's a 200 quid record, isn't it? Yeah, now, I basically. Think, so... Do you know this one, Paul? Do you know no. the cover? I think it has Oh, a... yeah, I looked, it, I looked it up yesterday when I was doing research. It's got naked ladies on it, Timmy. It's got lots and lots and lots of naked ladies on it. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently Jimi Hendrix didn't like that cover. which And so it was changed, which is one of the things that makes that original really rare. Maybe he was a hashtag SJW in his day. That would be Who nice, knows? wouldn't it? Uh, I've got one here from The Night Train uh, on Twitter. Um, this original DMZ release is probably uh, his most treasured record. Still in pretty good condition considering how much I played it out. It's Digital Mystics Haunted Anti-War Dub, which is a dubstep 12-inch. A good one of those will set you back £229. What? Yep. I mean, I know some of that, that very early dubstep is getting more and more collectible, but I didn't know it hit those kind of prices. Good Lord. Uh, Steph Galley uh, says that, that uh, their most treasured record is Pet Shop Boys Alternative. That's a triple vinyl album. Oh, wow. So when, when's that from? Is that recent-ish? Uh, past. I think it's recent-ish, right. yeah. That now goes, if you want uh, a good copy, um, you're looking at best part of 200 quid, the record selling price on that, £840. It's a lot of money. Some of those Pet Shop Boys box sets and things go for thousands. We've got a rare Pet Shop Boys. We've got two Pet Shop Boys 12 inches um, in the storeroom in the shop. Is and it the one with the big knob on the front? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if listeners have seen it, but it's just a really close up um, sort of high resolution photograph of a flaccid lad with a big mound of pubic hair at the top. We won't be posting a picture of that on <laughs> feed. <laughs> yeah, we probably shouldn't. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure what to do with them because I don't I don't want to upset anybody in the shop. And I'm, I struggle to work out what they're worth, actually, because it, it, they seem to be worth a real sort of range of prices. You know, on a bad day, they're worth a tenner. On a good day, they're worth 40 quid. I can't seem to work it out. Can you not put like a post-it note on, on the tip? <laughs> <laughs> and then one each on, either, on both of the balls. That's an excellent idea, Paul. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Watch this space. I never thought I'd be saying put a post-it note on the tip today, but there you go. Um, I'm delighted Gav that you have. Gavin Hogg, um, 
he's got uh, I know he's got a full box CD box set signed by all the band but we're not going to cover that one because it's CDs um, he's got a, an early Ivor Cutler 7 inch which is signed oh, get away lovely. from the wall um, without a signature it's the best part of 40 quid so with the signature I, I wouldn't I really don't know on that one any idea no but what a lovely thing to have because I mean Ivor Cutler is, has got a very sort of hardcore fan base he's he's what you know he's sort of the very definition of a cult artist so yeah i reckon a signed copy is going to push the value up by quite a decent amount isn't it especially as he's deed but he's um, wonderful Ivor cutler i love him he's he's just brilliant do you or know the, this the, next the, album from yes. uh, edward metcalf oh go on then tell me about it so edward metcalf uh, says his uh, his his sort of treasured item is the massively influential and sadly forgotten the creation uh, late 60s mid mid 60s sort of um, British invasion beat group called we are painter men album which is a real cracker and you can just never see it ever that's worth quite a lot what's that worth Paul 250 quid it's quite a Thanks. lot of money yeah you may know have you seen the film Rushmore Paul no have you not seen Rushmore Oh, maybe years ago, but not. I can't. Oh, that's a brilliant film. I'm not a massive Wes Anderson fan, but Rushmore's amazing. Anyway, there's a creation track on that. That's, that's the only reason I bring it up. But I don't know why I bothered. So this is a special one next, Tim. Uh, Vinyl Fan 83. The Jellies Jive Baby on a Saturday Night 7-inch. The rarest right. and most expensive record I own. Now, it was reissued on 12-inch. And it was listed on Amazon for sale. When he went to the listing, he noticed that the listing for this 12-inch reissue had a picture of the original 7-inch single. Right. So he took a punt, ordered it, expected the 12-inch to turn up, and the original 7-inch turned up in its place. If you want a copy of that right now on Discogs, £1,000 is the cheapest copy. Oh, my God. What a result. Wait, right. So someone someone had a copy in their possession. They listed it on Amazon. Yeah. They did a very, very brief bit of checking, and they thought, oh, yeah, I see. It's some kind of reissue. Yeah. We're assuming, yeah. And it turns out it, it wasn't, wasn't a 12-inch. It's a 7-inch, and it was the original pressing. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Well, well done, Vinyl Fan 83 mm, I'll let you do the next one. Holy shit. Paul, I wonder if you've got a copy of this next one. No. Uh, two of our listeners have both offered the same most treasured record. Uh, Black Celebration Tonight and David McElroy have both gone with your favourite, Paul, Depeche Mode. Mm. Now, you've got a copy of Personal Jesus, don't you? Yes. Is yours on blue vinyl, Paul? No. This is from Australia, and it's like one of my most treasured or, or, or most desirable wanted items. And they both claim that they have this. They both posted a picture of their copies. So oh I know they gosh. have a copy. And on a on a bad day, what are you going to hand over to buy a copy of this today? On a, you could probably get a VG Plus for maybe five or six hundred. If you want a near mint, you're looking at one thousand pounds. Wow. I did offer them to, to swap it for... I've got in my possession an incredibly desirable item at the moment. Oh, yes. And and I offered to swap that with either of them. I wouldn't mind. I've got a bag of pasta. Did they say yes? One of them did. And he said he'd throw in the uh, seven-inch um, uh, personal Jesus, which has been censored as well, because he didn't think I was getting quite enough in the deal there. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, Paul, have you ever seen that in the flesh? No, because it's Australian. Um, how have um, they both got it? They've both got it. We've got a really interesting one next. Um, Rob Gilbert, Listen Sessions 1 on Twitter. He bought a copy of Duke Ellington's Concert of Sacred Music. Uh, right. a, little while off, a little while after buying it, he looked at the back cover and saw that it had been signed by the Duke himself. Wow. So, wow. Value. I'm. I've had a look, and I'm. I'm really pulling this out there because it's not my era. I would say at least a couple of hundred quid. Yeah, incredible. 
Because I looked on PopSite, there ain't much signed stuff on there. Right, this is the last one, actually, and I'm okay, going to do this one because I'm okay. going to ask you about it. So Agent 45, he has a copy of a record by Arthur Willis and the Soulful Dynamics, The Hurting Is Over, okay? Right. Uh, it was rescued from a, a Rubbermaid tub of records in a South East Atlantic garage back in 2012. He originally had a copy, which he um, sold to a DJ back in 2000, so he's managed to find another copy of it. How much do you think a copy of that record's worth? It's a seven-inch single, Arthur Willis and the Soulful Dynamics. So it Now, this sounds, is Northern Soul. I was going to say it sounds like Northern Soul. Um, people get very, very, very silly with Northern Soul records. Right. So I am going to guess... Yep. £400, Paul. Well, there's a, the bootleg goes for about 300 so go, wow. go higher. Really? Go on. All right, a grand. Go higher. What? What actually sells for? Go higher. £3,000. Higher. What? What? And this person's Keep got going. It? Yep. £8,000. That's... We're kind of getting there now. I think oh the last God. copy that went, I think it was between ten dollars and $11,000, but that was quite a while ago. So this copy... If it were to sell and come onto the market, would probably go into the top five most expensive records of all time. And where does on Discogs that is? <laughs> Agent Forty Five, you are definitely our most treasured possession hero of the day. That's for sure. Holy that is shit. absolutely incredible. Uh, so, listeners, do check out the thread on Twitter where we ask that question. If you want to have a look at the record itself. And when if you I want to get involved and uh, add your own most treasured items, My, mine might have been that High Lama's record if I hadn't scratched it. Paul, do you fancy a quiz? Love a quiz, Tim. You know, the history of music is also the history of strange formats and format wars. Right, and, yep. You know, the the winners aren't always necessarily the best thing. They're just the thing that happened to win. For example, I believe that Betamax is a superior format to VHS. Correct. So what I've got here for you, Paul, is I've got 10 obsolete music formats. Oh, go, go on. All you've got to do is tell me if they're real or not. Oh, OK. What could be simpler? So you've made some up? Maybe. Oh, OK just got a pen so i can keep track of your score so i'm going to give you the year the right. name of the item and a brief description of it all you've got to do is tell me is that true or false that, that is a real obsolete music format how are you feeling paul not confident you just sort of, no you just you're feeling nothing aren't you really let's be honest 1877 oh god the tin foil phonograph a mechanical device where a sound waveform is transcribed onto a piece of tinfoil. Uh, I don't think that's real. That is real. Oh. Zero points, Paul. Okay, come on. We, we, we can only go up from here. Number two, 1905. If you cast your mind back to when you were just a little boy. 1905. The Pathé Centre Start record. This was a machine and records that played the discs from the inside out, starting near the label and running at 90 RPM. That sounds perfectly plausible to me. It is true. You are correct. One point. Well done, Paul. You're back in the game. Number three, 1922. The Vertophon. Four and a half inch shellac discs which slid vertically into a fully automated portable player. That sounds something that's come from your mind, Tim. Fuck, you are right. I made that one up. Number four, 1936, the Tefifon. A portable device that played soft plastic tape which contained a groove like on a record. Hmm, I'm going to say that's true. It is true. The Tefifon is real. Well done, Paul. Number five, Paul, if you're playing along at home, listeners, I wonder how you're doing. Number five, 1947, the Dicta Belt. The Dicta Belt. A thin plastic belt rotated like a tank tread onto which analogue audio was recorded. 
That is definitely from your mind. It's true, the dicta belt. Pauline, I never leave the house without my dicta belt on. <laughs> I'm sorry, the dicta belt is real. Number six, 1955. Midget tape. Now, this was, Paul, the world's first battery-operated pocket tape recorder. And the midget tape recorded to quarter-inch tape housed in a metal cassette. I think that is false. Paul, it's true. The midget oh, tape. Oh, God. Come on, you've fallen apart. OK, here we go. Number seven, 1961, The Roundabout. An endless loop quarter-inch tape system which mimicked the look and feel of a record player but which held an hour of music. Uh, I don't know. True. Paul, it's, I made it up. <laughs> Look, the point that I'm, the point this is trying to make is there are loads of fucking stupid, weird formats that the inventors and companies came up with and had a, had a bash with, and most of them failed. That's basically that's the point of this segment. Here we go, number eight, nineteen eighty-eight. So we're into the era of acid house, Paul. So you're, you should be more comfortable now. The Pocket Rocker, marketed primarily at children. This played tiny tapes which contained just a minute of audio each. I think that's real. It is real. The Pocket Rocker. It's real and it's shit. <laughs> it's real and it's shit. Yeah, I think the advertising agency may have used that. <laughs> right, number nine, 1992. The Digital Compact Cassette. A magnetic tape similar uh, to... Uh, let me stop you cassette. there. I know what DCCs are and they are definitely real. Correct. Right, you got five points. You got half of them right. And number 10, 2002, the data play. A compact digital player into which you inserted tiny three centimeter wide discs. Some pre-recorded albums were released on this format, but they are not common. Uh, you're making that up. It's true. Ah, they actually bothered to make pre-record. So I think Avril Lavigne came out on this format. The, the discs were three centimeters, Paul. Um, I'm so sorry. We we've got a guest coming on in the future well, who oh, yes. specialises in crazy rare formats, and that's going to oh, be yes. Andy AVAV Systems. Oh, I can't wait. So Did he, you not see when he should the have other... got ten out of ten right on? This oh, quiz. he'll have got ten out of ten. On our um, Twitter feed, he's got this amazing machine in his workshop that he used for his everyday records, which has this huge arm and it plays like it's got like thirty albums in it. I think it is, and it can it picks them out and it plays both sides. It's this it, incredibly it, it yeah. picks them out. Yeah, go and have a look on our Twitter feed where I ask people about their record players. It's absolutely astonishing this piece of kit. I presume it's what from the seventies or something. I pass. I don't know. I think it's earlier than that. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I'll have a look. So, Paul, you scored, I believe, five out of ten. My advice to you is stick with your 33 RPM vinyl records. Yes. <laughs> Paul, it's just a bit of fun. In uh, these coronavirus times, we need a little bit of fun, don't we? I think that's it for this episode, Tim. It's gone very badly, but well, thank you for bearing with us, listeners. Yes. Uh, join us next time for more Adventures in Vinyl on we. Why, if we're ever allowed out again, occasionally, maybe, if possible, is it really wrong to order them online? Records. Previously on the We Made This Network. Pick up a podcast. Back in September, um, I got asked to be on a uh, show called America's Next Top Podcaster. Um, and it was a kind of American Idol style competition show. Oh, um, okay, yeah. So it was 12 contestants, and every week we would get a challenge, and we'd have to come up with a 10 to 15 minute or 5 to 10 minute podcast based around that challenge and so we'd be in teams and we'd have to work together and they'd switch up the teams and, and all of that and that was 
probably the best thing that could have happened at the time because it gave me a fresh influx not only of creative outlets because I got to I got to try doing things that were outside of my wheelhouse. It wasn't just movie discussions anymore. I had to do full-on production. We had to do music and a bunch of stuff that I don't do on my show. The X-Cast, an X-Files podcast. Especially after after he gets his finger broken, he shrinks away from this guy. Like, Mulder is clearly terrified of him and, and like, you know, has a lot of... like has a lot of scorn and contempt and hatred for him too but but obviously he's just like very physically intimidated by him that's not we don't get we don't see Mulder physically intimidated by people very often at all in this show and so really like seeing him extremely vulnerable to somebody this violent and this dangerous who takes pleasure in being violent and dangerous is like the the novelty of that I think itself is part of what makes it frightening Pick a disc. Get your bingo cards ready, kids. <laughs> it is just the most perfect slice of old country heartbreak. Okay. It's a collection of just dark, bitter tales about fucked up relationships. Um, some of them possibly about the same person. I don't know the history of these songs, but there's, there's, there's everything in there. There's love, there's hate, there's regret, there's revenge, bitterness, drunkenness. It, it's the whole of humanity wrapped up in alt country um, and steel pedal guitar. Okay. Um, Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.